Well, good to see those that are back out this evening. We're glad you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad you're able to be with us. Everybody, please do remember the tent meeting out on the grounds. That'll be Saturday at 4 o'clock. Do try your best to be here. And if at all possible, try to invite somebody, even pick them up, bring them with you. And uh, let's have a good turnout for uh, what I hope and trust will be a very interesting meeting. So keep that in mind for Saturday afternoon. Tonight I want us, in keeping with a number of the lessons that we've had, especially throughout this quarter, I wanted to go to this song. We sing this song, um, not, I won't say often, but we fairly frequently sing this song. And I got to thinking about the lyrics of it yesterday, and I was thinking, you know, there are a number of points within this song that I'd really like to emphasize. So I decided that's what we do tonight, is go back. And you know that throughout this year, I've been selecting songs, some of them directly talking about personal holiness. And while this one doesn't mention that term, being holy or something like that within the lyrics, certainly the ideas within the song, as we'll reiterate, um, they go very much with some, some of the things I've been talking about, especially that idea of climbing that mountain uh, up to God one step at a time. Lao Tzu's quote, the journey of a thousand steps begins, um, or a thousand miles begins with one step, and so one step at a time. I want to take this song tonight, I'm going to divide it up into two main parts in the lesson. I'm going to do verses 1 and 3 together, and then verses 2 and 4, and that's not trying to make an improvement on the author. It's just that the thoughts that I have and what I want to emphasize, verses 1 and 3 go together, as do 2 and 4. But the idea of one step at a time, dear Savior, I cannot take anymore. Emphasizing the point that I can only take one step at a time. And I'd like to use that as I think about it. I can't get what we often sometimes will say, I can't get ahead of myself. And sometimes we'll say that when we're kind of frantically moving about or we're trying to accomplish something and we get to going so fast or whatever it might be. Or maybe we're just trying to make a change, a general change in our life. But we will use the phrase, I'm getting ahead of myself or I can't get ahead of myself and that kind of thing. It means that I can't go any faster really than I can go. That there are certain things that I have to take step by step And regardless of how fast I want to move through it or how quickly I want to accomplish it, I really cannot move any faster. And if I try to go any faster, certainly I don't want to go any slower, but if I try to go any faster, well, I'm really going to fail. You go back with me, and and I'd like for you to turn back for a moment to 1 Kings chapters 18 and 19. Or just think about the story if you're familiar with it. Elijah the prophet has a great victory on Mount Carmel. You remember he confronted probably about 850 false prophets. And you can see that in all about verses 18 and 19 there. But he confronts all of these prophets and he's victorious. He challenges them and he challenges the people to decide, to firmly fix their minds on who is God. Is it Baal? Is it God? And don't limp between, don't be, try to be crippled between both sides, but in fact choose God and follow Him. Go in that direction, you know, step firmly in the direction of God. That's Elijah himself, though. And Elijah, with that great victory, you remember, you know, God answers his call and certainly Baal is not there, so he cannot answer the false prophets. Elijah's victorious. And then if you remember... He personally, at the end of the chapter, a far lesser known story, 
he personally faces, confronts, and challenges King Ahab. And he's victorious. There is the cloud that grows and the rain that comes and all of that. And then Jezebel enters the scene, and it scares Elijah to death. Jezebel issues an edict that she will kill Elijah. He gets afraid. He takes off in fear of his life. He runs for a full day. Uh, He's just running as far and as fast as he can to get away. He wears himself out. He lays down under a juniper tree, and he asks God to die. If you're looking at that story, I want to suggest to you that that's a very real illustration. It's a great example of a person moving at the pace they can move. Because sometimes we're ready for something. Elijah on Mount Carmel, facing all of those false prophets, was ready for that challenge. He was ready for it. He met it. He was victorious, exactly where he needed to be. But he was not ready for whatever reason. We can, you know, guess at all of that. God doesn't choose to tell us. But he was not ready for what Jezebel did, for what she said, for what she threatened. He was not ready. Elijah, a great prophet, a great man, he could only move at the pace he could move. And when you look at that story and you consider the crisis and the fear and the discouragement and all of that kind of, and the, the, you know, just requesting to die. I I don't want to go through this. I can't go through this. I'm afraid, etc., etc. I just want to die. Now, maybe you've never been there. I know some of you have. Elijah can only go at the pace he can go. And when you look at how God deals with him, and this is not a lesson about Elijah, but it illustrates this song. When God deals with Elijah, he deals with Elijah exactly as though it is one step at a time. You've had your great victory. It doesn't mean you will have a victory today. Each day is a new day. Each experience is a new experience. And you will either meet it and be able to meet it and pass it and maybe even... You know, excel in it. Or you will fail. And that's the case with Elijah the next day. You know, paraphrastically speaking. But that's Elijah running from Jezebel. God treats him, though, as every day is the new day. Just because you've had a great victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah, doesn't mean you're going to have a great victory with Jezebel. And that's life. That's your life. That's my life. And for a person to say, I have, not ne- I, you know, I have never done so-and-so, and I will never do so-and-so. Like Peter, for example, on the night of the betrayal, all of you are going to run. All of you are going to be scattered. All of you are going to deny me. Not me. I'll die for you. I'll go to prison for you. But not me, Peter said. Oh, yeah, Peter, you will. Because... You've had some great victories, and we've studied those in recent weeks. You've had some great victories. Every day is a new day. Every experience is a new experience. And this night, right now, where you are, you are going to fail. One step at a time, dear Savior. That's all I can do. I can't get ahead of myself. I can't look at my past victories and ensure that today is going to be a perfect day. All I can do is go at the pace I can go. I can't go any faster. I don't want to go any slower. But all I can take is one step at the pace I can go. I want you to turn with me and read a passage, perhaps not thinking or thinking of it in a different way than we sometimes do think of it. But I want us to listen carefully to the language. James chapter 4. And you may remember where the Lord cautions us here. And I'm going to look at James 4 and old, well, I'm not sure. I want to start at verse 13 anyway. When he says, go to now. That is, bring it back down, as we would say. Bring it back to the moment. Bring it back home. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, 
We will go into such a city and we'll continue there a year and we'll buy and we'll sell and we'll get gain. And you know, making plans is fine. Making spiritual plans is fine. And this is not talking against that. You know, the whole idea of setting goals and everything else. But what this is speaking against is overconfidence. We can't be overly confident. Notice as Jesus warns us here in this passage, verse 14, Whereas you do not know what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Now we often read that part of the passage and we talk about the brevity of life. You know, life is so short and all of that kind of thing. I think he's talking about more than that. Notice he's talking about the arrogant boasting of what you will do tomorrow, what will happen in your life. But it's not just that you might die so you might not accomplish it. Notice as he goes on here, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Because he might not will that. Certainly he might not will that you live. But he might not will that even if you do, you will do this or that, you see. Elijah had a great victory. And days passed, or perhaps only a day or two passed. Regardless, he had a great victory. But when the new day came, he might have had confidence because of Mount Carmel to do a lot of boasting. He would have been wrong. Notice as this passage goes on to say, verse 16, For now you rejoice in your boasting. The word boasting here means the idea of glorifying in your accomplishments. What I have done. I have never done so and so, committed such and such a sin. I will never commit it. How can you say that? How can you know that? I have always done so and so, so I will do so and so. How can you know that? Elijah might have been greatly confident. I have stood for the Lord. I have confronted hundreds of people and been victorious. I will confront anybody in anything and be victorious. If he had said that, he would have been wrong. Your rejoicings, your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Verse 17, therefore to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Here's the idea of taking heed to myself. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Lest I fall. I need to always be aware of the fact that I can only take one step at a time. And I don't know what's coming. I don't know what challenges the Lord will bring to me. I don't know how I will meet them. I don't know if I will be on Mount Carmel and be utterly victorious. And I don't know if I'll be running for my life from Jezebel when they come. I don't know. But I do know that I'll have to take it one step at a time. And I'll tell you something else. I can't go at anybody else's pace either. Just because Elijah could meet the prophets on Mount Carmel doesn't mean right now I can. And just because, you know, Elijah might look at me and I might be able to stand up to Jezebel. I might be saying, you know, I don't care what that crazy old woman said. You know, I might be that person, but that wasn't Elijah. I can't go at anybody else's pace. And thankfully, the Lord doesn't ask me to go at anybody else's pace. You know, you think about what the Bible says, and a lot of passages really teaches this. But I want you to turn back with me to the book of Luke. Oops, wrong direction. Book of Luke, and let me go to Luke 12. And there's an interesting story here about many stripes and few stripes, and people ask about that from time to time and wonder if there are degrees of punishment in hell and all of that kind of thing. I don't think so. But I tell you, if there are, it has to do with what goes on mentally. 
inside each individual. But read this together with me. Jesus is talking about rewarding his servants. And he does say down in verse 47 as we read this, And that servant who knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself. Now I want you to notice that phrase. Because that would be the kind of phrase we tend to just read over, but we shouldn't. Because here is the idea of the individual. The individual preparing himself or herself. And neither, neither did according to his will, God's will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes will be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Now I look at that and I, I ask myself, do we have different abilities? Is one person more able, certainly with respect to some situation, than another person? We know that's so. Then does God require of individuals differently based on their ability? The answer is yes. And I give you another illustration for that. Think of the so-called parable of the talents. But the idea there is dealing with people's ability. To each individual there is given a certain amount of ability. And the Lord knows that. And the Lord deals with the individual differently based on their ability. To the one, he comes and he says, you have the ability to handle five talents. Talents a piece of money. I think it represents opportunities. But you have the ability to handle it. And that's what I expect. I require of you to return to me on the basis of five talents. To another, he says, your ability, I've given you the ability to handle two. And so he gives that person two. Yet to another... He says, you have the ability to handle one, and that's what I expect. So what is that saying to me? It's saying we go at a different pace. It's saying that one individual, maybe because of circumstances in life, maybe because of natural ability, certainly intellect, education, political situations, and on and on and on we could go. That individual has more opportunity and more ability, and so God expects return. Yet to another individual who has less... God requires less. So I cannot look at you, nor you look at me and say, God expects me to do what that person is expected to do. One step at a time, at my own pace, dear Savior. I don't know what is before. I am not going to boast of what I've done or what I've failed at. I'm not going to let that determine what I will do in the future because I don't know. I am not going to try to get ahead of myself I certainly don't want to get behind myself. I don't want to slow down and crawl when the Lord expects me to be moving. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm not going to demand of myself what I am not capable of doing. If today all I can do is lay down under a juniper tree, then that's what I can do. It's not up to you to judge that. It is not up to the next guy to judge that. It is only the Lord's business and He will deal with me. And let Him deal with me. I'm not going to get ahead of myself, and I am not going to judge myself based on what the next guy can do. Only I know what I'm really capable of doing, and the only other one that really knows that is the Lord. One step at a time, dear Savior. Notice as the verse 3 goes, I'm going to spend the longest amount of time on verse 1 to set the tone for the lesson. But let's add verse 3 to this. One step at a time, dear Savior, O guard my faltering feet. I got to thinking about this earlier. And I've been talking a lot about stumbling. I did this morning in the lesson. 
stumbling, or in the class downstairs, but stumbling. Moving in a certain direction, making progress, stumbling along the way. You know, that's not faltering. The song does not say, guard my stumbling feet. The words stumble and falter are two different things, and I'll tell you the difference. If I'm, moving, if I'm walking down this aisle, and, you know, there's something in the floor, or I trip over my own feet as we talk about or whatever, I stumble, I go a couple of awkward steps and keep moving down the aisle to the back of the building, I've stumbled. If I'm walking down this aisle and I trip over something and fall, and I hurt myself, and I can't get up and progress to the back of the building in a normal fashion, I've faltered. Because the idea of faltering is when you become weak, when you fail, and it hinders, it stops and begins to stop your progress. Now you notice the song is saying, one step at a time, dear Savior, O guard my faltering feet. Because I have in me the ability, and I think we all do, We may boast and say, oh, nothing can get me down. Nothing could ever stop me. And we may feel like that sometimes. And then, as we say, life has a way of jumping up and, you know, getting you and dealing to you the challenge and all of that kind of thing. Now, I have in in me the ability to falter. I know there are those things that could cause me to completely stop progressing, climbing up the mountain, could keep me from God. I'm not arrogant enough to say that I'm so strong You know, I'm not, I've had my moments like Elijah, and I'm sure you have too, where I've confronted the great big challenge and won. And I've had my Jezebel moments too, and you probably have as well. And I'm not arrogant enough to say that I know the future is going to be filled with Mount Carmel moments, but not Jezebel moments. No, I know I have, and that's why I pray. That's why I sing the song, and I think about it when I sing, guard my faltering feet. It's like David saying, Keep me from secret sin. It's asking God to protect me really from myself. And it is saying I can only handle one step at a time. I can't look to the future and begin to think about those circumstances and think about faltering, you know, getting down, beginning to fail and weakening and all of that kind of thing. I can't contemplate all of that and let it grow in my mind and say, It's going to knock me down and keep me down. I mean, we can do that. There are people that rationalize themselves right out of going to heaven. And I can't do that. So it's right in the middle, one step at a time. I'm not too arrogant, but I'm not beating myself up to a point to quit. In fact, trying to do more than I can do only makes it worse. If I'm looking at myself and my progression that I'm making and saying, you know what, I'm not getting up the mountain fast enough. I'm not getting to where I need to be. Maybe I contemplate the last whatever number of years. And I say, I should be at such and such a point. Now, I've done that. And I beat myself up pretty bad for that. But I've had to slow down and and re-look at the situation, contemplate my life and say, you know what, I can only do what I can do. I'm not Superman. I'm not a person. You know, I might have thought I could accomplish more. That's great. Set your goals high. But be realistic enough to know that you are not greater than everybody else and you are not going to be able to do more than you can do. One step at a time, dear Savior. Guard my faltering feet. 
allow me to go at the pace I'm capable of going in. And when I fall, when I stumble, don't let it turn into faltering. Let me stumble and rise up again. You know my verse, Proverbs 24, verse 16. If I fall, if I stumble seven times, as long as I keep getting up. But don't let it be one of those where I fall and I lay there in my pain and I say, I don't want to get up anymore. And I quit. Don't let me do that. Don't let me think about the future and say, if, you know, if I live another 20 years, it's only going to get worse. And I just don't want to keep trying. Don't let that happen. Guard that from me. Keep hold of my hand, the song says, till my journey is complete. I love that line in this song. You might want to look at it in verse 3. But keep hold of my hand, dear Savior, till my journey is complete. What it's saying is this. I'm counting on the Lord to lead the way. Now slow down with me for a moment. And I want to ask you a very hard, probing question. It won't be hard to understand, but it will be hard to deal with. In your life as a Christian, are you counting on you to lead the way? Or are you counting on the Lord? And before you quick to answer, let me suggest a couple of things to you. Have you determined in your mind what your course of action is? If I go to church every time the doors are open, if I read my Bible every day at a certain time, if I pray a certain way, if I'm honest in my dealings as a whatever I do, I'm on my way to heaven. Is that the way you are leading you to heaven? Or are you counting on the Lord like the song suggests, to take hold of your hand, keep hold of your hand, and lead you through life? Now, there's a very great difference in that. One of them speaks of total self-control. Self-control is great. But self-control to the exclusion of any other control, including God, is bad. If I'm looking at me, and I've got to be honest with you, for the first great part of my Christian life, that's exactly what I did. I counted on me to lead me. I didn't want anybody else leading me. I didn't want to suggest that God would lead me. I wanted to look at it like I will go to the Bible. I'm capable of understanding it. I will take direction and control of my life. And you might guess you fail miserably when you try to do that. You get a little older, hopefully you get a little wiser, and you listen to what God is saying, and what God is teaching us is, I will take your hand and I will lead you. That's why I go, and I want you to go with me again, to Philippians 3. And you've heard me read this several times this year. Let's look at it again from that standpoint. Look with me at Philippians 3, and I'm going to start in verse 9. Oh, that's Ephesians. Well, let's try Philippians 3 and verse 9. Paul is talking about what he wants out of his life. And he says, I want to be, verse 9, we're jumping right in the middle of the thought, but I want to be found in him, suggesting he is not, but he's working on it. I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. Now notice that phrase. Not my own righteousness, but his. So I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
person might look at that and say, well, is there a difference? Oh, is he, he must be talking about the righteousness of the law of Moses. Well, I think so to a degree. But notice he is also talking about self throughout this passage. Let's read on. That I may know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection. Now, a person might look at that and say, now how can Paul, and he would have been an apostle about 30 years by this time. How could Paul be an apostle for 30 years and not know Jesus? Because he's talking about what he is going to do, what he's going to accomplish. So listen to it carefully. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. And so you might ask the question, who's leading who here? So we go on to talk. If by any means I might attain, achieve is the idea, the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I'd already attained, verse 12. Or I were already perfect. But I follow after, I chase it. Remember, I've, saw, I've talked about. If that I may apprehend, grasp, lay hold on, grab, that for which I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? I have learned that if you want to go to heaven, what you've got to do is let Jesus reach back and grab your hand and pull you, and then you run as hard as you can run. But that's the order. Notice that. You can't just take off running and consider that you will establish your own righteousness and you will make it to heaven and you will get there on judgment day and Jesus will look at you and say, you did a great job and you didn't need my help at all. It will not work that way. Paul said, no, Jesus reached back and grabbed me. Jesus reached down and grabbed my hand. I'm already, he's already got a hold of me, and I'm climbing just as hard as I can. I'm running just as fast as I can. Notice verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't laid hold on anything yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things before. I press on. I press toward the mark of the high calling of the prize of God in Christ Jesus. Who's leading who? One step at a time, dear Savior. Guard my faltering feet. Keep hold of my hand till my journey is complete. Now, sometimes I wonder. I don't know if you ever think like this. But I wonder sometimes about people in paradise. And I wonder what goes on there. You know, I mean, they're there. They're waiting on judgment day just like you and I are waiting on it in the same sense. But... They're waiting on it. They know they've made it already. They're in paradise. And I wonder about the conversations. Not the, you know, Abraham, please send Lazarus over to cool my tongue conversation. That's a sad look. But no, I think about the conversations of the people that have made it already. And I wonder if there's ever conversations that go on like this. Now, you can bear with me for a minute, or you think I'm a lunatic. That's okay. <laughs> but bear with me for a minute. I just wonder about the conversations. And I wonder about people say, you know, how did you get here? Can you imagine the answers that must be given? The idea of Paul, well, I was on my way to kill some Christians, you know, and Jesus met me and I got converted and that's how I got here. Another person might say, and I think about some of the stories I'm aware of in this country, maybe a little closer to home. And some of you may be familiar with David Lipscomb College down in Tennessee. And if you know his story, he lived in the late 1800s. He was a gospel preacher in the late 1800s. In the early 1800s, earlier 1800s, 
His father and mother had lived in the South and been like others. They owned slaves. And when they were converted to Jesus Christ, and they were, and they became Christians, his father freed those slaves, and one lady just remained with the family and lived with them to her death. She had been a slave, and now she lived with them. She was family. And she lived in the home, and David Lipscomb talked about that after he was grown and as he preached in later life. Can you imagine the story? How would you get here? And she begins to tell the story. Well, my people were brought over from Africa and enslaved, and then the man was converted, his wife was converted, and they freed us. But in the meantime, they converted me, and I became a Christian. Can you imagine the stories? I know stories, for example, of Native Americans. Who were at war? You know, Indians and white people fighting in this country. They were at war. And then they were converted. And they became Christians. In fact, it was quite a movement among the Cherokees in the very early 1800s. Can you imagine the stories? Here are two people down there. How did you two get here? Well, we were once enemies and we fought each other. And then we became Christians. And now we're both here. I mean, the stories must be unbelievable. The backgrounds, the differences, how people were taught, sometimes taught by people literally halfway around the world, the journey to getting to heaven. But you know, that's God. That's God with His ability to reach down and say, I've got you. Come on up here. And all you've got to do when He's got a hold of your hand, and you're like a little kid, you know He's not going to let go. You start climbing and giving it everything you've got, and that's enough. One step at a time, dear Savior, hold my hand till my journey is complete. Because you know, as we look at verses 2 and 4 and close out tonight, I can only walk by faith. There's a line in the song that says, I am not walking by sight, and goes on to say, I walk by faith. I walk by faith. I can only walk by faith. The truth is, and we know 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, I walk by faith and not by sight. But I think about some of the things. In fact, I want you to look with me at an interesting sequence. And you may or may not find this interesting, but I I find it very interesting. Look at John 7 with me for a moment. Now, Jesus was in Jerusalem. He's teaching. And he goes through some hard teaching here. He's teaching the people, and they don't know what's going on. And, you know, some of them think he's crazy. And others think, man, this guy has got to be a prophet. He speaks differently than anybody else. And Jesus makes a statement that... They don't really understand, but John, in a a parenthetical note, explains what Jesus was talking about. Read this with me in John 7. Go down to about verse um, 37. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, notice this, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, verse 39, John explains what he meant. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, if you notice what he's saying there, if you thirst, come to me, and I'll give you spiritual life. I'll give you living water. Later, if you notice at the very end of the chapter, look at the very end of the chapter, and the Bible says, every man went into his own house, and then chapter 8 and verse 1 Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So they're right there in the city and they're, you know, they're doing all this contending with each other. And Jesus makes this great statement about, come to me if you're thirsty and I'll give you drink and all of that. 
Then everybody goes a separate way. People go back home. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says, and early in the morning, so it's the next morning, verse 2, this is when he's going to the temple, and everybody came to him, and then the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 3, bring him a woman taken in adultery, taken in the very act. Now, I'm not going to go through that story, but if you remember, this is when they brought, her, brought the woman, and they really were testing him. They wanted him to say, adultery, she needs to be stoned to death. And this is where Jesus, you know, let him that's without sin cast the first stone and all of that. Drop down to verse 11, when he was asking the woman, verse 10, when he said, Woman, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now notice verse 12. Then spoke Jesus again to them. He'd been speaking the day before. He'd been talking about thirsty people coming and giving them drink and the rivers of living water. He's got a real live example that's been brought to him, and that's how he treats her. Go and sin no more. The forgiveness, the living water given to her. And then he stands up and teaches again. Now notice what he says. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. What's interesting to me in this passage is Jesus didn't just preach it. He illustrated it with real people. There's a line in the song that makes me think of this sequence. And if you notice, it really is kind of a hard line in the song. But it says in verse 2, I'll be, basically says, I'll be in step with you and you keep step with my soul. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. One step at a time, dear Savior. I'm not walking by sight. Keep step with my... You keep step with my soul, dear Savior. I walk by faith. By faith and thy might. What does that mean? You ever thought about that as we sing that? Jesus keeping step with my soul. Let me suggest to you what I think that means. Jesus meets us where we are. And sometimes... We're way far away from what we need to be. That's just the truth. This woman was taken in adultery. Nowhere in this story will you see Jesus object and say, oh, she didn't really commit adultery. No, she did. The suggestion seems to be that a whole lot of people there were committing adultery. Nobody was without sin. But that's where she was. And yet, Jesus meets her right there. Because she is a living, breathing example of someone who needs living water. She's not perfect. She's not anywhere close. She needs Jesus. Her soul needs Jesus. But I tell you what she does not need and what will not help her. For Jesus to demand of her that she be ten steps ahead of where she is. She can't be. She can only be right there where she is. And that's how he deals with it. As a matter of fact, as you get to thinking about the examples in the Gospels, you find Jesus meeting people in all kinds of situations, in all kinds of conditions, in all kinds of sin. And basically what Jesus is saying is, right where you are, starting today, do you need living water? Are you thirsty? Yeah, boy, they're thirsty. Tired of sin, worn out, famished, hungry for something different. He takes them right there, and he says, let's start today, right here. I think that's the Lord keeping step with my soul. It's not Jesus saying, you know, reaching down to grab me, and I 
can't quite get his hand. Jesus is saying, too bad, you missed. If that's my idea, then I've missed it. I've listened to a lie that Satan tells. No, Jesus can reach down far enough to take my hand wherever I am. Now, I've got to give it my all. That's the whole go and sin no more. I've got to give it my all. But I've got to count on Jesus to be in step with my soul. You know, if I were out on the track and I were trying to run with Wes, and believe me, I am not going to get on the track trying to run with Wes, but if I were out there, Wes could take off running and there's no way I could keep up. And if we're going to be in step with one another, I cannot run faster than I can run. He's going to have to slow down. And that's the point. Jesus will meet me where I am and keep step with my soul. Finally, verse 4. One step at a time, dear Savior. Thou knowest all of my feet. When we were boys, and I've told you many times, I was the coward in the bunch. You know, I was the one everybody made fun of because I was the little boy that cried all the time. He was scared to death. And then I got older, of course, you know, but I understand that. I like to think when I was 12 and 13 and 15, I didn't have any fear whatsoever. And I used to try to prove that. You know, I'd do stupid things, be a great daredevil and do stupid things to prove to people I wasn't afraid at all. I wasn't afraid of anything. Inside, I still had all kinds of fear. God knows all your fear. And you know, you can still be that, like that little boy trying to boast and tell everybody you're not afraid and what you will do and what you won't do. And inside, you know your fears. And so does God. One step at a time, dear Savior, you know all my fears. There's a very calming effect about the Word of God. And I need to learn that. I need to learn how to go to the Bible, go to those great passages, like the Psalms, for example. I need to learn how to let the Word of God get inside me and discern things, divide my thoughts, Hebrews 4 and verse 12. I need to go to those passages and meditate and let God speak to me. That's what this song says. Let God calm my fears. Because He can, and He will, if I'll go to the Word of God and allow Him to do that. One step at a time, dear Savior. You know all my fears, but one word from your heart, dear Savior. And heaven's mansions appear. You ever thought about that? And you thought about how Jesus stood there and said to those apostles, let not your heart be troubled. That's not just a funeral passage. That's a passage for me every day. There is a mansion there, built, waiting for me to get there. The Lord is counting on me to be there, believing in me to be there. And i got to do the same thing. I can't just be filled with fear. Oh, I'm never going to make it. I'll never be right with God. It's so dangerous to live a life saying those kinds of things. I'll never make it. There's no point in trying. No use in believing I'll make it. Because Jesus has already said, it's waiting on you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't believe that you cannot make it. I'm going to heaven for the express reason of preparing a place for you to come. You know, when your best friend or your mother or your father or your relative, your friend, says, I'm coming to visit you. You don't count on them having a wreck or the plane crashing and them dying and not making it. 
We don't even clean the house up. They're never going to make it anyway. That's not how we do. No, we prepare and we believe. And they believe. And they get there. That's what Jesus is saying to me. And I'm saying, you know all my fear. And Jesus is saying, well, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe what I've said to you. Believe in me. Count on me. One step at a time, dear Savior, till faith grows stronger in you, Jesus. One step at a time, dear Savior, till hope, expectation, grows stronger in me. Oh, what a beautiful, powerful old song. Are you here tonight and you're not a Christian? You believe that the Lord loves you. You believe you can take one step at a time and that the Lord will save you. Confess your belief in Jesus if you've never done that. Be willing to give your life to Him and change. One step at a time, but change. Be baptized to have your sins washed away. And if you've done that and you look at your life and you say, you know, I've done that, but, boy, I, I just, I'm not moving like I need to move. I need the Lord to reach down and grab my hand again. He will. Just give your life to Him once again. Please come while we stand and sing.